kind of going back some, you know, you know, what kind of a kid were you and when did you first sort of get the itch to do music? I was just your normal white kid who grew up in the 90s. I liked everything. I liked all different kinds of music. I grew up listening to 60s classic rock and pop records from my parents. They listened to very light music. And it probably pushed me to like darker and heavier music because I was just kind of so over that stuff and brainwashed by it. The first time I heard like West Coast hip hop as a kid, I just thought it was the craziest thing in the world. Right. And I was super into that. I got really into the alternative stuff when all the great 90s bands came out, all the Pearl Jams and Nirvanas and Soundgardens. And they were sort of my bridge into actual rock music, you know? That's like where I first really got interested in guitar and bands and stuff like that. And then I started to, I made some friends early on in middle school and high school, started jamming in bands, and I wound up playing in like a little hardcore band. That back in the day where I was kind of exposed to the hardcore scene in New Jersey, and I got really into that. Had this little period where, you know, I found Metallica and Slayer and Pantera and all that stuff, and I was learning guitar and playing, like, playing all their riffs and trying to get better at guitar. I just thought that was the craziest music that existed, and I was, I had, I was just drawn to it, and then I kind of found hardcore as, as like, a 14-year-old or 15-year-old, and it was just like, yeah, that was just became my scene. It was just what I really, I just got way into that for years. That's pretty much all I listened to. It's all I played. It's all I really wanted to do. And it wasn't for for years after that that my taste in playing and writing music had expanded out of that, you know. Um, and it's just evolved from there. Now it's like I record so much heavy music. And I'm always around it that I actually listen to much, much less of it. And I'm way more interested in, you know, indie bands and stuff that's a little more out there and things that are a little more experimental because I'm just, you know, bludgeoned by brew music 360 <laughs> days a year. And it's not, it's, it's, de- I've definitely developed less of a taste for it as casual listening. With, you know, with having such a, you know, a vast history of, music that you've been a fan of you know how does that sort of keep your creative juices flowing you know doing all this heavy music but listening to like sort of different stuff when you're not making music you know how does that keep the creative juices flowing i'm not sure of this but i'm pretty sure that all the best producers in heavy metal and hardcore and anything that's aggressive music have to have a background that is more than just aggressive music because all the bands that break the mold and incorporate ideas and go outside of the box, it comes from influences from other genres. And, and, and all of my favorite bands are the ones that are able to pull in new, new approaches to playing heavy music that they've gotten from somewhere else, you know, whether it's post hardcore or whether it's like ambient stuff or it's prog or, you know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it all comes from, going out of the genre and I feel like it's really important if you want to carve your own identity that you have a good foundation of just all music you can't just live in a box and if you do you're going to wind up just making a record that's familiar and you know there are bands out that do that and they do it well and it's fine you can have a career if that's what you want to do but a lot of that is short-sighted and 
in the long term, if you're going to be a band that's going to be around and have have a career and play music for the rest of your life, then you really kind of have to find your niche in it. And a lot of that comes from having the knowledge of what just makes music good and what reacts across globally, you know. And it's more than just one scene or one style of playing or you know one one subgenre for me. So yeah, I think I think it's really I think it's a pretty crucial trait to have to be a successful musician. Outside of all the music that you consume, what other things do you enjoy doing to sort of keep your mind right and sort of re recharge your batteries? Man, honestly, the past year or two, I have been doing nothing but making music. And it's, it's, I guess it's my choice, but I've, I've really taken on quite a workload. And I really, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I really haven't been doing anything else. Um, to to a default where I don't even know if it's health, if it's that healthy anymore. But I love traveling. I love playing with my dog, and my unwind time is basically doing nothing because I never really get to do nothing. So I love to sit on a couch and watch television and do no things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I'd like to see more of the world, and I'd like to I'd like to have some free time to figure out what it is I actually want to, what I actually enjoy outside of work. But I love my job. You know, I really do like what I do. It doesn't really feel like work and it's my hobby and my career, you know? So it's like, it sounds, that sounded kind of dark how I just described what my (laughs) life's like, but it's not, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. I, uh, I'm just so absorbed in it right now that it's really all, all I've been doing, you know? Well, when you're on the couch watching TV, what are you watching? What am I watching? I like comedians. I, I've actually been, I've actually just been listening to Bill Burr and Tom Segura and like passing out, laughing, listening to comedians. I've been doing that for like a year and it's great. I love going to sleep, giggling as my phone plays Netflix stand-up comedies. So it's it, it, that's been good for me mentally for some reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just your normal dude who watches you know, the good series, whatever series is good on Netflix or HBO. That's, that's, that's it. It's pretty standard. Out of all the albums or, you know, bands that you work with, you know, who are some of your favorites to work with or what was, was there a particular, any particular albums that you really loved working on? There's a ton. It's really hard. You know, I, I feel like one of the really rewarding things about, like what I've been doing over the past few years is I've become really good friends with a lot of the bands that I record. Um, so when I go in and make these records, we have this like other level of friendship where I feel like it's becoming so easy to work with these guys because they're my friends and it kind of cuts through all the bullshit. And we're actually making better records because of our own personal relationships just being stronger. It's stuff that we don't even realize we're chipping away at when we're just having casual conversations, but we're talking about what the album's going to be, what we can do. And through, through the course of an album cycle, we've already sort of put wheels in motion. So when we get to the studio, it's like everybody's aligned. Everyone's got the same vision. We know what we want to do. It, it, and those records have been great. You know, uh, uh, Counterparts and Street from the Past and Byron's Murder. And it, there's, there's just a ton of these bands that uh, like come back where we're on our fourth and fifth records together or something like that. And it's just like, yeah, I've, I've had... I've had a really good time working with those and those records are always really satisfying for me. 
Yeah, there's a lot of great albums that you've been a part of, um, but there's a couple of that I do want to uh, just get your thoughts on. You know, how was it working on the Body Body Count Bloodlust album? Because I love that album. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, they're they're great, man. I I love those guys. It was cool to get in the mix with them when they came back. You know, as as a kid, like I just thought they were the crazy one of the craziest bands. The, the the things they were saying and how socially aware they were and how just polarizing they they were. You know, they're literally they're the band that got the parental advisory sticker put on records. <laughs> it's it's literally the coolest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> so I. Yeah, it was like, it was, I went into it being very intimidated because for me, it was like, this was, this band was special. They had really made the whole world like stop and pay attention to what they were doing and what they were saying. And there was this weight to it that I wanted to make sure, you know, they they were off for a while and then they were coming back and I needed to do it justice and sort of like spark that, that up again with that band and, um, as people, they're awesome. I love them all, and they're very easy to work with. They, we got, we have this. We're definitely on the level as far as like how we can bring them into modern times, and and how you know the balance of all the different types of songs they do can work today and stuff. So they're they're great and really easy, really easy to work with, and really fun records to make. The entertainment level is super high on those. Yeah, and then also. Uh... Vane's Error Zone. That was one of my favorite albums of last year. You know, how is it working on that album? Oh, it's great. They're like, they're like, that was like a kind of that scenario where it's like, these are just kids who had awesome ideas, who worked with, you know, one of their guys locally. They made a very cool record, but they had never really spent tons of time really combing their stuff in a studio and like getting them to like putting them through all the motions at the studio is definitely a good learning experience for them, you know, and a good challenge for me to take a band that has that much like lightning in a bottle and really like make that translate, you know, uh, if, if you've seen them live, like, you know how. Yes. I've seen them live. <laughs> yeah. You know, like all the raw crazy energy that exists in that band. And it's like, man, I got to get that on a record. Like we got to figure that out. So it was cool. It was a good, good challenge for all of us. I think um, they've got a really bright future and they're just going to, they're one of, they're so young now. They're one of those bands that's just going to keep getting better. And they're, I feel like they're already ahead of the curve, even the stuff, their vision for the band and where, where they could see taking it, what they want to do. Like they're really going to push themselves and they're going to continue to be a band that leads the pack. I feel. And how has it been working with uh, Diarda's Murder for so long? It's it's a blast. They're um, when I had first met those guys, and they were like unlike any people I had ever met. You know, <laughs> I had worked with a few Australian bands, but they're like their own breed. Those <laughs> dudes. And, um, yeah, over time, like I've become really good friends with a lot of those guys, and the stuff we do is I I feel like. They're in that genre. They're the ones that do it the best. And it's been tricky to sort of keep, keep the intensity and sort of keep the interest there. You know, it's, it's definitely that deathcore world. It's very tough to not repeat yourself and to not just make something that sounds like everybody else. So it's always a challenge going into those records to find our angle on stuff. But um, we keep figuring out this new one, 
that we just did, I think has like some of the best songs I've ever written on it, but I can't wait for it to get out. Right. Right. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, with that sort of death course scene, like you mentioned, you know, it's hard to like, to, you know, there's a lot of times when it can be repetitive and there's been bands that sort of fell off um, from that. How do you, how do you, you know, with a deathcore band, make you know, make something that is unique. You know, how do you find those sort of places within all that where you can make something that will catch somebody's ear? I think it just comes down to a lot of the, a lot of the themes in that genre are pretty tired. You know, the tricks that they that bands in that world use to make songs have impact are sort of run its course by now, and it's never been a scene that was really writing about anything of significance. There's always just a little too much fantasy for me, you know, maybe that's just my taste, but right. I noticed a lot of why stuff wasn't reacting is people weren't really talking about reality, you know? And uh, I think that's a often overlooked part of that genre where it's important to actually say things that matter. And it adds a different, level of imp- a, a different weight to your songs and you know for me like nothing's heavier or more aggressive than like the dark side of the real world and a lot of times that's overlooked in that in that genre but yeah it's tough i mean a lot of it just comes back to pulling outside of the genre and finding ways to incorporate things that kind of give it some freshness so it's always a challenge yeah and you're also the guitarist of fit for an autopsy Fit for an autopsy, and then also the band End. What's going on with those bands? Uh, we've got both bands have a lot of new stuff in the works. You know, um, Fit's got their album wrapped up. There should be some announcement and details and all that wave of information coming out soon. I'm almost ready to talk about it, but I can't quite yet. But yeah, they've just been torn their torn their asses off off the last release where it's finally like winding down the guys leave this week for the first European tour and that'll be the last one on this album cycle and then we get into the new one which is great and and got a lot of new material in the pipeline too kind of the same situation we we're all pretty busy and it's definitely the type of band where we kind of just do what we can when we can so i don't know when it'll see the light of day but i'm really <laughs> stoked on what we created in the studio and the, the new material is my favorite by a, a mile. So if anyone likes that band, they're definitely going to dig what we just made. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. I, I love the, um, I love all the fit for the autopsy stuff. It's my problem is that anytime fit for the autopsy comes to Detroit here, um, it's on, it's on tour support and, like I always miss them for whatever reason or another, either I'm still in line or I had to work late. So I miss them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, we got some opportunities to open for some really established bands. And sometimes that just means you got to play early. You know, I mean, this, we've heard that story a million times. Let's just get, get your asses there early. If you want to see the band. (laughs) Right. I'm next time, next time you're in Detroit, man, I'm just going to be like, all right, I'm gonna make sure I get. I, I don't care. I'm gonna. I'm gonna plan way in advance to make sure that day is is open, so I can finally go see Fit for an Autopsy live. Yeah, the next time they're in Detroit, we won't be opening, so we'll be 
plan later. So you'll, you'll have time to get there. Good, good. So if anybody listening to this podcast, doesn't matter what sort of avenue of artistry that they're in, um, if there was sort of a nugget of knowledge from your life or career that they could project into their own life, what would that be? I think part of why I'm where I am is because I took the reins to build this myself and really in any of the arts, like whether it's music or video or photography, you can learn what you're going to learn in school. You can have people are going to show you things. You'll have your peers or, you know, your, your mentors that'll show you tricks and stuff, but they're, you have to just apply it. You have to keep doing it yourself. You have to make mistakes, learn from your own mistakes, the self-improvement and advancing. It always just comes from grinding it out. And whenever I'm talking to kids or if we're looking at picking up interns or assistants, I'm always, I always have my eye on the kids that are just, however they have to figure it out, they're just doing it themselves. And no matter what, they're going to keep doing it and they're going to keep trying it because you don't learn how to do art. You're not, you can, you can be taught what things are, but you can't be taught how to create something that's actually going to re react or how to make something sound the right way until you just apply it yourself over and over and over again. And when people are half in, it never really gets done the right way. You never really get to that point. If you're interested in recording, but you've got a job and you only get to do it every once in a while. And instead of spending your free time in a studio, working on music, trying to write songs, trying to improve yourself, you're just doing your other hobbies, then it's a hobby for you. It's not something that's going to become a career. Like the only way to really get from A to B is to just dive in all in and, and, and just do it until you're good at it, you know? And, and I give that advice to uh, up and coming engineers and producers and, it's how I got to where I am. So it's the only way I know that it really works. So I feel like that would apply across the board for any, any artist. How do you deal with using your time effectively? Meaning when you're not doing anything that's mindless or just running through the, the emotions, you know, even for that person who might need to have a day job, but they do have that time afterwards to work on things that they want to get to, you know, how do you, you, how do you get to the point where you're effectively not wasting any of your time? Yeah. I mean, it's tough to, it's always a multitask. When I was starting, I was multitasking because I was, trying to go to school, had to have a job to pay bills, and I was trying to do the studio. And as my studio abilities improved and I was able to make sort of a living off the studio, I had to do more studio work just to make ends meet. And even today now that I'm where I am, I still have – I'm still not in a position where I get to just lay back and pick and choose. You know, when I feel like working, I still have to constantly be – making records, multitasking. I've got mixes on top of records. It's sort of this never ending series of tasks that you have to be able to manage and balance. And time management is super critical, definitely prioritizing what's important when it comes to just an individual project or the projects around getting the working through deadlines, like being able to, 
being able to come up with real deadlines and actually being able to make them in this business is really important. You know, you can slave over a record for a year, but if that label needed it in two months, even though in a year it's going to be this incredible record, that label's not going to call you again because you blew out their deadline. So it's like you really do have to you really do have to prioritize what's really what's important, what's going to get you further on, what's going to make the best record, like. And the, I don't really, I guess I don't have the answer on how, how to, how to learn time management skills, um, other than you're definitely going to need them. <laughs> Is there any times when you just, whether it's you or anybody else that you shouldn't just, you shouldn't go to the studio is there any times when that is an actual option for just the, the betterment of the long run? You mean like when I shouldn't go to the studio? Yeah. Is there any times when you're just thinking, you know what? I shouldn't go to the studio. I need to like maybe recharge my batteries for just maybe that one day. Is there any times when that kind of comes up just for in, in the long run, it would probably be better for you and the project? Sure. I mean, for me, I definitely have like in my head, I'm like, I know I've got to get some of this done or I've got to get these songs in a certain place or some task accomplished on the record. And then I feel like I'm over the hill, you know? Um, and then like, for me, I'm always working towards a goal where I'm like, all right, if we can get this like this, then I could relax a little bit. Um, and I always, once once we accomplish what we need to accomplish, then I can then I can kind of take it a little easier. Or if I want to miss a day or come in late or something like that, I feel like it's reasonable. I feel like I've earned the day, you know. Um, and sometimes that's cool. And sometimes at the end of records, I have some easy days and stuff. But it's pretty tough for me to get into a project in the beginning, knowing what the workload is, knowing what's ahead, and kind of take it easy until I at least get to where I'm satisfied. And I don't know if that's healthy or not, but I know it's effective. So that's kind of how I'm always approaching stuff. Like you kind of earn your time off. You, for me, I earn my breaks. I don't, I don't just take them to take them, you know? How do you, how do you deal with things that maybe in your mind might be failures or obstacles, or do you even think about it in that way? I used to be a little more concerned about failures, how people were going to perceive stuff I did, if they were going to think it sounded good, if they were going to think the record sucks. But I mean, I've kind of learned like music is so subjective. You can only do what you think is the best move for the band or what's in the best interest. And at the end of the day, if I'm happy and the band's happy and their team is happy, I've definitely stopped caring what the outside world's going to think. Um, I'll see stuff. And if, if I see an overwhelmingly negative response to something I've done, I'll definitely take a look and see if I actually feel like, Hey, maybe you did do that a little weird or maybe next time just remember like the public kind of hates this. So don't do this. You know, I'll take, I'll take an overwhelmingly negative response to something into consideration, but generally like people are always going to have opinions. There's no one thinks, no, everyone isn't always going to think that every record I make is the coolest sounding record of the best band. And <laughs> if I put out, if it's a band six record, there's always a pile of kids that are going to think the first one's the best. And there's always the kids who want the band to change. And then when they change, they're mad that they change. <laughs> you can't, 
it's just a winless battle. So as long as the bands are happy and things are moving in the right direction and bands are growing, which, you know, I'm lucky that the trend of the artists I've worked with is they've been, they become more successful as we continue in our careers together. So I look at that as like, I think things are moving in the right way and I should just continue to stick to like my gut and do what we all think is the best move on our team, you know? Um, you can just, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a black hole to go down <laughs> the criticisms of your work, and, and, and I've actually kind of stopped caring. With all the friendships that you made making all these records, you know, how important is it to, to you know, build on those friendships and to be happy when you see the success of all these musicians that are your friends? It's the best part. It's, act, it's absolutely the best part. When you, like, see that, result and you have your dudes and you come up and everyone's i'm a small producer they're a small band and we all grow together and the shows get bigger and the records sell more it's just like yeah i mean it's like why do it you know it's like i find the best my best dudes the best people in these bands and we all kill ourselves to make these records and then the proof and the the reward of seeing it you know grow and excel and give these give these bands like careers and yeah it's definitely the best part there's nothing better than that and i always like to end my interviews with the same question and it's all right if you don't really have an answer for it but who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that i could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some great stories or lessons to talk about Ooh, that's a good one um I've got two guys for sure. I'll give you two because I think they're both wise men who you could learn a lot from. Sweet. Um, Machine is the record producer that I came up under. Um, And I definitely wouldn't be here where I am making records right now if I didn't watch that guy do his thing for for the time I was with him. I, I knew basically nothing about recording, literally nothing about recording. And the guy gave, let me work at a studio, gave me a shot, let me use his stuff. And I watched him make records with bands that I liked. And I literally learned methods, processes, dynamics, how to deal with people on, on personal levels, on professional levels. Just so much from that guy that, you know, still translates to what I do today. So, I mean, he's definitely one. And, and and on a, on a mentor level, you know, he would he would be the guy who I I learned from. So I'm sure people, your listeners, could learn from him too, you know. Awesome. And another guy who who I think you know is just a really smart, valuable guy is my manager Johnny Minardi, who um, works at Roadrunner. He worked at Fuel by Ramen for years, and he was responsible for signing tons of bands, and he had great success with. Uh, on both sides of the fence there as well as being a successful manager he sort of learned how to navigate this music industry and these subgenres we're in and sort of find talent and stay successful over time you know he's just a testament to longevity and and a really smart guy so either either one either one of those dudes are are winners for me all right great it's been awesome talking with you will i've been like i said i wanted i've been wanting to talk with you for a long time where um where can people go online to get more information about you, uh the 
STL uh, pack that you just put out or anything else that you're working on? Sure. I mean, everything I do is kind of graphicnature.com. That's my studio's Graphic Nature Audio. There's also some records I put out with an imprint, Graphic Nature Records. It's all it's all at graphicnature.com, and there's some links there for the software that I'm working with, but if you want to just go directly to that, you can go to stltones.com, and there's just really thorough rundowns of all the new software we've released there, as well as audio examples, videos. Just It's loaded with stuff, so you get the full picture. Yeah, it was great talking with you, man. Thank you once again. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right, that was my interview with Will Putney, guitarist for the bands Fit for an Autopsy and End, and also producer, mixer, and engineer for a slew of heavy metal bands over the past decade. Go online, check his discography. It's stellar. And don't forget... To check out, if you're a musician, to check out the Will Putney Kemper Bass Pack. Links to check out the Kemper Bass Pack, along with everything else that Will Putney is doing, is in the show notes for this episode at freshisthepodcast.com. Again, thank you for listening, like always. Goodbye and good night. Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever... Drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. 
Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foulmouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh is the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It would definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 151 and the guest for this episode is somebody that i've been wanting to talk to for a long time mixer engineer and producer will putney who is also the guitarist for the deathcore band Fit for an Autopsy in the band End. Recently, STL Tones, the leading commercial seller of Kemper and Axe FX Tones, announced the release of the Will Putney Kemper Bass Pack. During our chat, we talked about the Kemper Bass Pack and the doors it opens creatively. His roles when producing or engineering for a band while in the studio, getting past creative differences, his upbringing in music, his experiences producing bands over the past decade. I asked him about some of my favorite recent albums that he's produced, like albums from Body Count, Vane, and Thy Art is Murder. We talked about being unique in metal. What's going on with the bands that he's in, like Fit for an Autopsy and then, and the creativity that comes from building friendships with the bands that he produces. And before we get into this interview with Will Putney, I definitely want to remind you that I do have a Patreon set up for Fresh is the Word at patreon.com slash fresh is the word. And just for as little as a dollar, you can support what I do. And the coolest part about uh, signing up on Patreon to support Fresh is the Word is that I've opened up my audio archives of interviews that I did outside of the Fresh is the Word podcast from the past decade. So it's a lot of good stuff that I'll be posting in the upcoming months. I already have a couple uh, episodes up, one with Danny Brown, one with Cool Keith, and I have a few more that I'm just you know about to post up on there uh, real soon. So you can always go to patreon.com slash fresh is the word, and there'll be a bunch of tiers that you can uh, support with, you know, even some tiers that you can um, be a part of the show. So just one more reminder, Patreon.com slash Fresh the Word. All right, let's get on to the interview with Will Putney. Yeah, for a while now, I've definitely wanted to talk with you because you're, you've been somebody who has, you know, produced so many the you know so many bands and albums that I really like, and I'm also a uh, a big uh, fan of Fit for an Autopsy. So it's super cool to oh, uh, to be able to talk with you. And uh, yeah. Yeah, even I've interviewed people in the past, even like your bandmate Pat and uh, Josh from uh, North Lane, 
and we've uh, we've talked about how it is working with you and whether it's you know people I've talked to or just other podcasts that's brought you up people have had nothing but positive things to say about working with you and what you brought to their projects oh well, that's cool I appreciate it I honestly don't even know if you knew much about what I did or anything too so I'm kind of glad you're in our circle a little bit also <laughs> great yeah right now um there was this news that came out that you um are working with uh, stl to um put out this kemper base uh, pack you know talk more about that yeah actually i just released software but it's like a plug-in so i uh um, yeah i i've uh spent about a year with stl developing this plug-in with a really really awesome software engineer Rico over there and we've like we basically saw a window where there just wasn't really good lifelike guitar tones that were very usable for like the professionals and, and people like myself and other producers and engineers it's sort of always been this thing where it's like oh these plugins are convenient they sound cool here and there but nothing ever was just like wow this is like a finished tone you could use this in a mix like this, you know, it, it, nothing was beating the real thing. And we're like, well, let's take a shot at it. Let's try to do it. And let's try to make the guitar software that is as good or better than, you know, the gear I have at the studio. And we basically recreated from the ground up through schematics, my entire chain of guitar that I use in guitar tracking. And it's fully spot on, like unbelievably identical to the real thing. And, this thing, this plugin is just packed with some of the coolest tones I've pulled, and it's crazy. Like it actually blew my mind the first time I heard it, and it made me fever uh, that the software, that technology is definitely catching up to amplifiers and and the hardware that I had. It kind of made me rethink my whole setup in a way. But yeah, I'm really proud of it, and like the response has been awesome. Everyone who's used it and the artists I've worked with have been like really blown away by it. So it's cool. It's great that it's like out there now and um, I'm glad people are, are into it. With technology like that, what sort of doors does it open up creatively for yourself and for just even up and coming um, musicians? It's like, for me, this, what I love the most about it was when I'm working with a band, I can spend hours, I'm dialing this guitar tone. I've got to set up all of this stuff, these amps, cabs, mics, Mike Pre's EQs, like this, just all of this, it's a whole event just to get to that point where you're like, all right, now let's try to get a guitar tone. And if you're having a good or bad day, you've got your little window of time there to get this, to get this killer guitar tone. And like, then that's it. That's your, you print that and that's kind of what you have and you're stuck with it forever. And there's nothing, once it's there, it's, once it's done, it's done, you know? And with this plugin, I was like, man, I could take a shot at it. I could wake up tomorrow, hear it fresh, and be like, eh, maybe a little more of this. That's it. And it's like the ability to have it and just living in your workflow where this thing could change at any point uh, has already improved the way I work with guitars in my mixes. And I've, I've been using it as like a beta version low-key for a little for some time now, and I'm already happier with where my guitars are sitting. So it's, it's just this tool that's always working for you. When working with STL on this, and as somebody who has, who really thrives on having high quality production for your band or any of the bands that you work with, 
you know, how did you go about working with STL to sort of, you know, get to that point where even you're like, you know, rethinking everything about, you know, musicians and, and music and production and everything to where it's like beyond your sort of, where it was like the results were, you know, beyond even your original expectations. Yeah, realistically, I mean, I had started working with them because I was interested in the Kemper stuff. It's sort of a, if you, if for people who are listening, it's just a, a digital box that kind of simulates amps for you and it lets you profile your own amps and save things in it so you can sort of take any amp tone with you wherever you are. It's a very useful tool for live stuff and it's pretty usable in the studio too. A lot of guys track with it. Some people use it. For, to get keeper guitar tones also at, at the time I felt like it was the leading uh, emulated guitar box that that was out there so I made some packs for it and I realized through the course of going through and designing it that we were getting we're getting pretty close to the real thing with that you know um, some of the tones that I put together I felt were as good as what I had dialed with amps so so I was impressed by how that technology was sort of catching up to what I was doing. And that sort of was the jump off point for like, well, what if we actually built this thing out with in the computer where you have access to more advanced software than what's currently in any of those hardware units that, that are out today. So that was sort of where, where the idea first began. We had tried some initial versions of it, you know, just to see if we could get, just to see if we can get close or beat the real thing. And, and we did. And, um, yeah, as soon as I realized what was possible, we really went all in on this and, and it's, it's been like pretty, pretty inspiring to watch the software engineer just whip up what I think is one of the best plugins I've ever used, you know? So I, I guess like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I knew it was inevitable to be honest. And I'm glad that I was able to sort of figure out a way to get my workflow into software as early as possible where I felt comfortable using it. So I don't get left in the dust as technology expands and advances over the years. Yeah. This past decade, you've been a, you've been a, a part of so many great albums, um, producing, engineering, mixing, and through, you know, there are different styles of uh, heavy music, you know, whether it's, you know, all out metal, sort of metalcore, deathcore, you know, things that might even have like some new metal elements. Whenever you're, you know, going to the studio with these bands, sort of what do you feel like your purpose is? What's your role uh, in making these albums? I always approach every record differently. Obviously, there's a lot of variety in the subgenres I work with and stuff. But the one thing that's the one trait that's always consistent is if I'm going to work with a band, I try to find the thing about the band that makes them unique or it's kind of special or what they're doing that's actually reacting with people or is better than their peers. Like, and I kind of try to hone in on that because I feel like that's why a band is that, that's why that band's where they are. That's why they're growing. That's why they're gaining a fan base. That's why people care about how they sound or what they say. So I, I try to find that like important core thing with each band and make sure that, we do our best to just deliver that the best way. And whether that's 
a lyrical thing or it's a vibe or it's a certain way it sounds or a certain way songs move. Like it's, it's always different, you know, but it's like one unifying trait with every project I do that I'm always sort of prioritizing and on and kind of putting my focus on. When you're in the studio with these bands, you know, what is the, like the regular, you know, status quo, the re- regular method that you are, you know, doing? What do you, what are you doing when you're actually into this in the studio with these bands, even if it's different for each band? I mean, I'm I'm doing everything really. You know, I, I do I do have an engineer. He's, uh, my engineer Stevie's super super talented guy who helps me along the way with every project. And there's definitely moments where he's more or less involved, depending on what type of band it is and how difficult or detailed the workload can be. It's great to have like another guy, but I mean, I'm I'm pretty much doing everything soup to nuts on these records. You know, we go through the songs together. There's, there's songwriting, there's the whole pre-production stage, all the tracking. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much always hands-on. I don't, you know, I've worked with engineers in the past and I've had plenty of success with it, but I've found lately I'm more satisfied when I kind of, I get to do the whole project from the beginning to the end. And I really get to see everything through. Yeah, I've heard, you know, stories of other other producers that were less hands-on with stuff and would kind of come in every once in a while and just kind of check where the band is going and sort, you know, and give their thoughts at that time. You know, what's, you know, what's your thoughts about being so hands-on in comparison to other producers that are not so much hands-on? I mean, I think everybody's different. I know they're just I'm lucky that I'm built with a brain that can be creative and be technical at the same time. I know for some people it's not really as effective and some guys are just these brilliant creative dudes and come up with the coolest song ideas and think out of the box and don't care at all for the engineering or don't understand it or don't even use the, you know, don't even know how to record. They just know how to get a good performance or get a, get a good song together, you know, but, and then on the other side, there are just fantastic engineers who are super fast and who just kill it on the tracking side and, and get great tones and stuff, but they're not song guys. So it's like I balance both. Uh, I do my best to balance both. And I think just in the nature of the style of music I do and, the, you know, the market for the types of bands I do, obviously it's good to be able to do a lot yourself. It's kind of helped me be able to make a living kind of recording these pigeonholed subgenres that I just enjoy working with. You know, that I'm sure there are, I'm sure in the major label world with big pop bands, it's much easier to break out everybody's role on these records and to afford to have budgets to just be a producer, be an engineer, be a mixer. But I've, from where I've come up, I've sort of had to cut my teeth by just doing everything just to make a living on it. Have you ever been into the studio with a band that maybe didn't know everything about, you know, recording music and how were you able to sort of level them up um, during the time in the studio? Sure. I mean, a a lot of bands I've worked with who are, who are bands that are back now or, you know, have had kind of started with me where I had maybe done their first full length or the first like, you know, actual studio studio experience. Um, it's, it's happened numerous times where it's been bands who are in their hometown and they record with 
their buddy or they even do it themselves and they're on to something and it's reacting. And then I'm kind of, I kind of get, I've been lucky to get some of these bands early where it's like, it's their first studio experience and, and it comes with challenges. It's definitely generally a lot of bands walk in, not really prepared for what they're about to go through and how, you know, rehearsed they're supposed to be or how much work actually goes into, you know, the productions that we do at the studio. So it's definitely this learning curve. And I think a lot of bands first records are a lot tougher to make than when they come back. And of course you, you form a good working relationship and friendships with these people. So you kind of coming back and doing records after the first one, it's always much easier because now you know what you're in for. And also, you know, the dynamics of the people you're working with and how, how things are going to get done and how, you know, how to, how to communicate and how to work together more efficiently. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely come with challenges. It's been, there have been situations where you could tell bands really weren't quite ready for that full on experience and workload. And some bands just come in and kill it. They just get right into it. We, we make a record like they've been doing it their whole lives, you know, but um, yeah, generally no one's really ready for it until you do it. It's just kind of one of those rites of passages to make a really involved record. (laughs) How do you, uh, when you're in a studio producing these bands, how do you uh, kind of get past creative differences? You know, how do you open up that communication? I try to keep a really, I try to keep a really, you know, common, just ground rule agreement that I always try to have just the best part wins. There shouldn't be any egos. It doesn't matter where the idea comes from. If it's better for the song, if it's better for the record, you know, that's what I always push for. And I always try to just keep this this blank slate. Like, that's that's just how I work. That's what I'm interested in. That's all I really care about. I'm just trying to make the best record I can. And people are generally very receptive to the ideas I have and the input, the rearranging of, of their music. It's it's met with resistance sometimes and there are certain bands that do want to control more of their own music and don't really want to be told that their riff could be better or their chorus could be better. So, uh, you know, I've been there before and you have the little arguments and I always just do my best to try to get what I think is the best out of the band and what the best song could be. But it's definitely, you know, sometimes people just want to do what they want to do. And, and, you know, those are cases where maybe I, you know, in the future, it's not a band I'm as interested in working with, per se. But, you know, there are guys who I really respect as musicians who I work with. And if they stand their ground, you know, I pick my battles and I know when to back down and I know when to really push for stuff. So it's always a give and take. I, my idea isn't always the best idea, I'm sure. But I just try my best to make the songs as good as they can be without letting anybody's ego in the way you know 